Belshazzar, the right. Who's ever heard the phrase of the writings on the wall? Right, like um, that means it's about to it's about to end. Right, like you're if you're watching a like a sport, uh, you know, a sporting event, and they say, you know, oh, the writings on the wall for this team. That means that they're it looks like they're going to lose this game, or it looks like their season might be over, or something like something like that. So the phrase the writing on the wall or the writing is on the wall came from this passage, came from Daniel chapter 5 um, with Belshazzar. And uh, he's at this, he's at, we'll, we'll read it. We'll read it and kind of work our way through it um, rather, than, rather than spoil it for you. But that phrase comes from this passage. So let's, uh, let's pray together and then let's work our way over the next few minutes through uh, this chapter in the book of Daniel. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to come before you and listen to your word together and sit under your word together as it is spoken out loud, publicly, unashamedly, right? Uh, in our own language. There's just so much about this event, right? The, the, the preaching event that is, an, is um, a profound undeserved blessing from the Lord that we want to acknowledge, that we have Bibles and can listen to and read your word, and that we don't have to worry about being arrested because we're listening to and and reading to your word together. God, we are so grateful, and we pray that we would not take it for granted. We pray that we would um, leverage it for the sake of our own spiritual development. We pray that you would convict us of sin Assure us of your grace. Push us toward repentance and help us to trust in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay. Chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand uh, of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. So we fast forwarded a little bit. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, is, is dead and gone by this point. Um, and now we have a new king. Uh, his name is King Belshazzar. Um, we're gonna, it's, they're going to reference um, several times during the passage, starting in verse 2, that Nebuchadnezzar is the father of Belshazzar. Um, which is, so Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't Belshazzar's direct father. Um, the word for father there can kind of, uh, has a broader semantic range. It can mean uh, ancestor or predecessor. And so uh, Belshazzar's father was a guy named Nabonidus. Um, and there was a handful of kings of Babylon between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. But uh, we're going to see there's kind of some interpretive reasons why uh, they keep referring to Nebuchadnezzar as the father of Belshazzar. And we'll kind of uh, see as we kind of work our way our way through. But we've got Belshazzar. He's the king of Babylon right now. And his kind of idea of a good time is to invite a thousand people over, sit them down in a big auditorium or something, and just drink wine in front of them. Like, like I'm going to be on stage drinking wine. You're going to be there watching me drink wine. Uh, I'm going to showcase how cool I am and how extravagant of a life that I live. And you're all going to clap for me and, and talk about how awesome I, I am. Verse 2, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, he commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So he's like, you know what would make this even better is if we weren't just drinking wine and everyone wasn't just celebrating me and how awesome I am because I have this expensive wine, but if we were doing it specifically out of um, the articles that were used in the temple 
uh, in Jerusalem to worship God. These, the, the articles and cups and plates and gold uh, that were specifically dedicated for the worship of Yahweh, of the God of the universe. I, uh, I want to take those and I want to defile them by getting drunk with them and uh, by worshiping idols, right? Then they brought the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines. They drank from them. They drank wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. So we're worshiping any number of uh, false gods, you know, uh, fake deities with um, temple articles that were specifically designed for and dedicated for the purpose of worshiping God. This is particularly repugnant, particularly offensive to, right, worshiping idols is bad, getting drunk is bad enough, worshiping idols is bad enough, but, but going out of your way to bring the sacred objects that were dedicated for the purpose of worshiping the one true God and then using them to get drunk and worship false idols is particularly uh, offensive. The whole thing in the ancient world was that if we beat you in military conflict, then it means that we're a stronger country than you, our military is stronger than your military, but also our God is stronger than your God. I mean, so in any given country, the, the most expensive, precious jewels and precious metals and everything were found in two places. The two places that we see Solomon build in, uh, in, in the book of um, First Kings. Uh, um, the palace and the temple, right? The palace where the king lives and the temple where the god or gods dwell. That's where we keep all of our most kind of precious, expensive gold and silver and all these. So when you conquer another nation in the ancient world, the first thing you would do is go right into the palace. You'd either kill the king or put him in prison or humiliate him and then take all of his gold and all of the stuff in his storehouses and that's, that's ours now, that belongs to our king now, that belongs to our God now. And then you'd go into the temple of the God that they worship and you'd take all of that God's gold and precious. And this is ours now, this belongs to our king and to our God. It was just this constant king of the hill, whoever wins, that God is now on top of the hill. We're going to take their stuff and that, that, kind of, that kind of thing. And so Belshazzar thinks the, the true God of the universe is just some random God, just some other God of some other people that we've beaten and we've subjugated and we bested him. And so now we're going to publicly like celebrate having bested him and we're going to publicly scoff at the glory of God by drinking from his utensils at this party that we're throwing in my own, in my own honor. And immediately, verse 5, immediately the, the fingers of a human hand appeared and they wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw it as it wrote, which is weird and a little, you know, scary seems like something that would happen in like a paranormal, you know, scary movie or something like, something like that. Everyone's there. There's this, whether it's a premonition or an actual physical hand or something, you know, a finger, writing on the wall. And verse 6, the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him and his limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. So Belshazzar, one second ago, was big shot, big man, drinking, right, daring God, right, drinking out of God's utensils, laughing at how God can never, you know, do anything about this because I'm so big. And now he's, now he, his knees are knocking together. He's, you know, 
like out of a cartoon. He's like shaking and sweating and, and terrified. And so the king calls loudly and says, bring me the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared, to, right, so, so we bring all of the religious, he's, he's, you know, he's a bunch of winners, right? Like we've seen these guys just one chapter after another. They're always brought in and they always just, they're batting zero, right? They've just, they've, they have failed time and time again in, uh, you know, revealing what God has revealed or interpreting what God has revealed or giving the king any sort of insight um, that, they, that they need to, to know. And so he says, bring in these guys, and these guys have no idea uh, what is happening. They can't really interpret um, what's going on. And then the king declares to them, whoever reads this writing shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in all the kingdom. So you can have whatever you want. Money is no object. You can have power. You can have, uh, you know, you can be, I mean, sh- short of me, and, who, and I guess my number two, right? Okay, me, and, but other than that, you can be the most powerful person that there, that there is. And, of course, none of them can do it. All the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known the interpretation. Then Belshazzar, understandably, was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. So I don't know what this writing means. I'm freaked out because I think maybe it's bad. It's a bad sign or it's a bad omen, and I want someone to tell me so that I can know and, and you know, know what to expect, and no one can. And then verse 10 Right, when all else fails, ask your wife to give you counsel. The queen, because the words of the king and his lords came to the banqueting hall, the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you, or nor let your color change. Right? There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, Nebuchadnezzar, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, right, over and over, your father, Nebuchadnezzar is your father. They're kind of likening, kind of tethering together, binding together Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar to kind of say, you guys are very similar, right? He made him chief of the magicians and enchanters and Chaldeans and astrologers because of an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams. He could explain riddles. He could solve problems. Uh, These were all found in Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. So his name is even similar to your Belshazzar. He was Belteshazzar. And so now let Daniel, i.e. Belteshazzar, be called, and he will show you the interpretation. Right? So, so Belshazzar, don't right, realize, uh, recognize that um, this, is, this isn't the first time this has happened. Right? Recognize that, uh, you know, what's um, Winston Churchill, right? Uh, whoever doesn't read or understand history is doomed to repeat it, right? He's like, this has all happened before. There's been situations where there's been dreams that none of the religious people could interpret, and, and Daniel was, came in at the very end and was able to do it. So, like, let's learn from and benefit from uh, the mistakes that Nebuchadnezzar made, and let's benefit from the wisdom and insight um, and revelation that Daniel has shown that he has. Verse 13, then Daniel was brought before the king, and the king answered him and said, You are Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom my father brought from Judah. I've heard of you, I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that the light and understanding and the wisdom and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, they have been brought before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show me the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be third. In, I mean, Daniel, I am. 
about to change your life, right? Like, I'm going to give you more money than you could ever imagine, right? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, put you in charge of all of the religious leaders, but I'm going to put you in charge of everyone in the entire nation, right? You are, you, this is like, if you can read, if you can tell me, read these words to me and tell me what they mean, because it's enigmatic, then I will give you anything that you want. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Right? I don't want your money. I've never been in this for money. I've never been in this for to, to have a, a, a comfortable life or luxury or excess or power or any of that. Right? The whole, my whole story in this nation, Belshazzar, started when I was in the royal court and had access to uh, the best wine and the best meat that anyone in the entire kingdom could eat, and I turned it down. Because, uh, because even back then, I care more about the glory of God than I care about stuff. But then I care about good food or, or lots of money or whatever it is, right? And so, so I um, have never been in the habit of doing things for self and, and for, you know, accumulation of stuff. I've always been in it for the purpose of uh, the glory of God. And so no matter what you give me, I won't interpret this uh, if it's not in the best interest of the glory of God. And even if you give me nothing, or uh, even if you threaten me with the worst thing that you can threaten me with, I will, you know, like, I, I'm going to do what, what, is, what glorifies God, regardless of what you uh, seek to entice me with, or what you threaten me, me with. So keep your money. Nevertheless, I will read the interpret. I will make the writing to the king, and make known to him, so I'll do it. I'll do it. It's not for your money. I'll do it because uh, my understanding is that it will bring glory to God, right? If I, if I interpret this writing, uh, then it's going to make very clear to you explicitly what God intends to do. And then when those exact things come to pass, then everyone, you and everyone else is going to stand amazed at the glory and the sovereignty of God, right? It's one thing for God to orchestrate human events and human affairs exactly according to his sovereign will. That's impressive enough. But it's even, it's a higher level for God to declare in advance what he's going to do and then do exactly that. That makes his creatures stand in awe. So Daniel says, I'll interpret it for that reason, not for your money, but for the glory of God. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Right? I mean, again, Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king. Right? We keep linking Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar together, and it's because the people in the story are trying to help Neb- Belshazzar realize, and Daniel, the person who's writing to us, the reader, is trying to help us realize that, that there's a link. But like, Belshazzar is kind of a, a second version of Nebuchadnezzar. That they uh, have similar heart postures and they have similar behaviors and they walk with a similar kind of swagger and they invite a similar response from God. And so uh, they're, like Daniel is saying, don't be unaware of, don't neglect, don't forget what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, what he did, how he acted, and how God responded um, to how he acted. Because frankly, you're on a similar trajectory. You're walking that same path. Learn from his mistakes rather than repeat them. Don't do what 
uh, Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your predecessor, did. And because of the greatness uh, that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar, all peoples and nations and languages trembled before him and feared him. Right? Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on earth. He could do whatever he wanted. If he wanted you dead, you're dead. If he wanted you alive, you're alive. If he wanted you to be rich and powerful, you were. If he wanted to take all of your riches and all of your power and leave you just a, a, a powerless shell of a man, he would do that. Nebuchadnezzar could do whatever he wanted. No one could stop him from doing exactly what he wanted. But, verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spear was hardened so that he dealt pridefully, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. And he was driven from among the children of mankind, and he was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. And he was fed grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Cast him out, out of the palace, into the fields with the wild animals. Verse 22. And you... His son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this about Nebuchadnezzar, you have still lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. You and your lords and your wives and your concubines, you have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which, you do, not, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your very breath. In whose are all your ways, that God you have not honored. You are repeating Nebuchadnezzar's mistakes and then some. And it seems like you don't even know or you don't even care. I mean, you have ample evidence in front of you of what happens what kind of response this kind of behavior evokes from God, and you are proceeding as if you don't know or you don't care. Like you're daring God to bring judgment upon you. It's uh, reminiscent of the story of Lamech in Genesis 4. Lamech is a descendant, great-great-grandson of Cain. So Cain is the first guy. Cain, is the, Cain murders his brother Abel in Genesis chapter Four. And after he does, God says to him, you know, Cain, your, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground where you, where you spilt it. And so because of that, you are cursed from the ground in which you spilled your brother's blood. And from now on, you'll be a, a cursed fugitive and wanderer on the earth. That's what God says to Cain. And Cain says back to God, God, please don't do that. My punishment is greater than I can bear, right? That's a terrible punishment, and I don't think that I can um, survive if you, if you do it. That's, that's God and Cain. Now, a few generations later, there's this guy named Lamech. Lamech was a bad man, right? Uh, uh, Cain was the first murderer, uh, and Lamech his descendant followed in his footsteps. Lamech murdered uh, another man as well. Uh, he was also a, a womanizer, took several wives. The, the, the grammar and the language that's used suggests that he didn't just marry multiple women, but he was domineering and abusive uh, to them and, and potentially just kidnapped them and had them kind of as his prisoners. And at one point, at one point um, someone, 
there's an altercation between Lamech and someone else, some unnamed person, and Lamech kills him uh, right on the, on the spot. And after he kills him, he looks at his wives and he says, uh, listen up, right? That guy hit me and I killed him for it, right? Uh, you know, he, right, you can kind of see the escalating. He bumped into me with his grocery cart in the aisle and I got out a gun and shot him in the head right there on the spot. And then he says, if, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's revenge is 77-fold. So Cain is looking at his wives and he's basically saying, I'm a killer, I will kill, like if someone just, if someone looks at me funny, I'll murder them. So remember that next time I tell you to do something, right? Next time I tell you to bring me a sandwich, remember that I will kill a person if they don't do exactly what I say. And then he says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech, so Lamech's is 77fold. So I can handle 10, 11 times the the punishment that Cain got, Cain got this wimpy punishment and he was like crying, boo-hoo, God, I can't handle it. I, that's too much for me. I could take that times 10, times 11. It's nothing. I laugh at it. I laugh at the wrath of God. I laugh at the judgment of God. I'm going to do whatever I want, and God can't do anything to stop me. Right? That's, that's Lamech in Genesis chapter 4. And that is Belshazzar in Daniel 5. Right? I saw what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. I saw his sin. I saw the judgment that God visited on him. And I think it's a joke. I am not scared of it at all. I'll intentionally do what Nebuchadnezzar did times 10. And I hope, I I dare God to visit the judgment that he visited on Nebuchadnezzar on me. He could do it 10 times as much and it wouldn't even faze me in the least. Verse 24. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, the writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed. This is Daniel telling Belshazzar what, what happened at his party, right? This is what you saw. The writing that was inscribed is Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. So Mene, Tekel, and Parson. Mene means numbered or counted out. Uh, tekel means weighed or put on a scale to figure out how much it weighs. And parson means uh, broken in half. There's some weird kind of uh, ambiguity around these words because uh, each of them, if you read them as nouns, uh, they read kind of forms of currency. Um, and that, in fact, like de- descend- in descending order. So it would be like dollar nickel penny or something, right? Like, uh, you know, it would get smaller but if you read them as verbs instead of as nouns, then they read that as, as numbered, weighed, and divided. So parson means divided, broken in half, cut in half. So numbered, weighed, and, and divided. And so, so yeah, uh, the king sees this writing on the wall that either says, like, dollar, nickel, penny. Like, that's weird, but it's unnerving. Or it means numbered, weighed, divided. But either way, I'm not sure what it means, and it's, I'm freaking out because of it, right? Like my, my knees are, are knocking together, and I'm scared. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe it means something about me, but I don't really know what it means, and so I wish that someone would, would tell me, right? What, what is being numbered? What's the number? What is it that's being weighed? How much does it weigh? What is it that's being divided, and, and why? Verse 26, and then Daniel uh, says, this is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, 
God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And Perez, Parson, uh, your kingdom is divided and is being given to the Medes and the, the Persians. So Daniel says, you were freaking out because these weird words that you didn't know what they meant, but you kind of thought maybe it was this, this bad omen that what, you know, whatever, uh, whoever it's being written about, maybe it's saying something bad that they should be concerned about, and you were right. It is bad, and it's talking about you, and things are going to go very badly for you. God has numbered your days and brought it to, to an end, right? So you've, you've gotten uh, full of yourself, drunk on your own power. I am the great Belshazzar, rich, powerful. I can do whatever I want. I'll throw a party. Everyone is going to celebrate me. I'll drink from cups that are supposed to be used for the worship of God. Doesn't matter. I'm not scared of God. God can't stop me. That's how awesome I am. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to reign forever. And Daniel says, you're not going to live forever. You're not going to reign forever. Your days are numbered, and they're coming to an end very soon. Which kind of raises the question, well, why? Why are my days numbered, and why is my life and my reign going to come to an end? That's the second word, because you've been weighed and found wanting. Right? The reason why the days of your reign are going to come to an end is because God has looked at you in the similar way that you'd put something on a scale and see how much it weighs. God is going to assess you and your life and your actions and your behaviors and your words and your, your heart posture and your attitudes and your motivations. He's going to look at everything about you and put you on a scale and, and you will be found wanting. Right? This would be foreign. Like Belshazzar would have no category that anyone could look at him and think anything other than, wow, that guy's amazing. That guy's cooler than me, bigger than me, stronger than me. He is incredible. I bow before his glory. And Daniel is saying, God's going to look at you and he's not going to be impressed. He's going to put you on a scale. Like what's the, uh, what's the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Where's that like, uh, there's that girl who's like really, you know, she's a brat and she like steps on that. It's like good, good egg, bad egg. And she steps on it bad egg and she like goes away right you're 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 going to be god's going to put you on a scale and that scale is going to uh determine that you are bad not good found wanting right not not sufficient not good right this is a completely foreign concept to uh belshazzar that anyone would find me wanting for any reason god is going to look at you judge you weigh you put you on a scale weigh you and you will be found wanting okay so that's the what your days are numbered and going to come to an end. That's the why, because you've been weighed and found wanting. And then the third one is the how. Like, how exactly is it going to happen that my days come to an end and that the, the number of my days uh, come, comes to an end? And it's because your kingdom will be divided and given to the, the Medes and the Persians, which is exactly what happened, right? The, the ancient kingdom of Babylon was uh, overtaken by this kind of... Uh, almost like a hybrid two-in-one um, kingdom, the Medes and the, the per- Medes and the Persians are both kind of um, two separate-ish kingdoms in kind of modern-day Iran um, that were kind of like sibling rivalry. They would fight against each other, but they were both kind of from the same region, uh, similar cultures. And then eventually the Persians overtook the Medes, 
but they kind of also just absorbed them. And so a lot of the, um, the, the higher, uh, you know, the ranking officials in the kingdom of media kind of became high-ranking officials in Persia. Their cultures were, were kind of, it was kind of a blended Medo-Persia, the, the Medo-Persian empire. And so Daniel is saying, uh, your kingdom, this like unified kingdom of Babylon is going to be broken and given to the Medes and the, the Persians, kind of a, a dual hybrid two-in-one empire. So numbered, your days are numbered, coming to an end. Weighed, you have been weighed and found wanting. Divided, your kingdom is going to be divided and given to someone else that is not you. God uh, sees you and your pride and your sin. He's not impressed. You might be impressed with yourself. You might think that everyone who sees you is thoroughly impressed with you, but God is not impressed with you, and God is going to rip your kingdom from your fingers and give it to someone else. And Belshazzar, it's not, it's not good news, right? A lot of kings in his position would say, I ah, kill that guy. I don't like what he said. I don't like what he said is going to happen, and I am going to will it out of existence. So start by killing him. But he actually uh, gives Daniel, um, he, like he gives him all the money that he said he was going to do. Because he's like, look, like, I, I think he's probably telling the truth. And um, I'm impressed with him that he told me something true uh, instead of giving me some bogus interpretation that was going to flatter me. So Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple and a chain of gold was put around his neck. And the proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in all of the kingdom. That's great. So things are looking up for Daniel. Yeah, uh, he is, you know, a huge windfall of money and power and status and and influence. And that's all so great, except it's an empty gift that's not fully realized because um, Belshazzar is not going to be king long enough, nor is he even going to be alive long enough to see it through. He has time to formally declare his intentions, but then that very night... Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius, the Mede, received his kingdom, being about 62 years old. So, while Belshazzar is throwing this extravagant, impressive, offensive, idolatrous party and drinking out of these utensils that are reserved for God and his worship, that very night, there is um, a tactical assassination mission being planned and executed by uh, Babylon's biggest military rival. And, and Belshazzar is uh, either too incompetent to know that it's happening, or he's too foolish and reckless to, to care that it is happening. And so he's killed. And everything that Daniel said is vindicated, right? Daniel yet again is shown to be a man who has special divine revelation from God and special insight into yeah, uh, dreams and visions and riddles and interpretations and these kinds of things. Right? Belshazzar has been shown to be accountable to God when he thought he wasn't. He gave an account to God. God had, had taken stock, taken measure of Belshazzar's life and how he lived it, 
God determined that Belshazzar had not lived a life that was worthy of his approval and acceptance, and God had sovereignly purposed for Belshazzar's reign to come to an end, for his life to come to an end, for the kingdom of Babylon itself to come to an end. Numbered, weighed, divided. Your days are numbered, you have been weighed and found wanting, your kingdom has been taken from you and divided and given into the hands of someone else. Now, here's the application for a text like this. Numbered, weighed, divided, words spoken to Belshazzar, they're for Belshazzar, they're true of Belshazzar, they end up coming to pass in Belshazzar's life. But those words have application for us as well. Because the reality is, it's not just Belshazzar who is going to be weighed in the balance and who is going to give an account to God. That's us, that's you and me as well. It's not just Belshazzar whose days are numbered and they are coming to an end. That's true of you and me as well. It's not just Belshazzar whose kingdom is going to be taken from him against his will and reduced to nothing. That's you and me as as well. Hebrews chapter 4 says that God sees us And he discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts that there is no creature who is hidden from God's sight. Everyone and everything all stand naked and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You'll be weighed in the balance. Romans 3, we are going to stand before God, we are going to give an account to God, and when you do, you will be totally silent, you without, without one word to utter in your own defense. Hebrews 9, there is an appointed time for every single person when they will die, and after that they will face the judgment of God. Friends, Your days are numbered. And they are coming to an end. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but one day, the number of days that you have left will come to an end. You will stand before God. You will face the scrutinizing judgment of God. You will be weighed on the scale of God's perfect righteousness and holiness to see if you are righteous enough to merit the favor and the approval of God. And if that sounds unnerving, if you hear that and you're concerned that you are not righteous enough to merit God's approval, that is an appropriate response. It's an appropriate concern to have. And in that day, God is going to take from you the kingdom that you have made for yourself. He's going to take it from you and he's going to reduce it to nothing. 
For Belshazzar, his kingdom was Babylon, and it was taken, and it was divided and broken and given to someone else. For us, our kingdom is uh, money, property, stuff, possessions, family, my, my, my autonomy, my reputation, right? All the things that I like, all the things that I spend so much time accumulating and protecting, all of the things that I have deluded myself into thinking that these things will last forever. That's my, that's my kingdom. That's our kingdom. And when you stand before God, God is going to take your kingdom from you just like he took Belshazzar's kingdom from him. Your days are numbered, you have been weighed and found wanting, and your kingdom will be taken from you. That was true of Belshazzar, and that is also true of you and me and every person who has ever lived. And yet, even with all that being said, there is a way out. Right? Unlike Belshazzar, who did not, and presumably didn't even have the opportunity to, you, having heard that your days are numbered, that you will be weighed in the balance and found wanting, and that your kingdom will be ripped from your, your fingers, you have an opportunity to respond, you have an opportunity to prepare, you have an opportunity to make accommodations now, so that, so that you're not caught off guard. Right? You can, you can uh, avoid the judgment and wrath of God that is inevitably coming. Right? Your days are numbered. They're coming to an end. You've been weighed on a scale and found wanting. But if you, uh, if you trust in Jesus to save you from your sins, then God will not judge you on the basis of your righteousness or your lack of righteousness or how well you personally measure up to God's perfect standard. If you trust in Jesus, God will judge you on the basis of Christ's righteousness. Right? On the cross, Jesus himself was punished and treated as if he was guilty of the sin that you have committed, so that when you stand before God and give an account to him, Jesus will intercede for you, so that God can treat you as if you have lived the perfect life of Christ. If you are left to yourself, you will stand before God, you will be weighed, and you will be found wanting, and you will be condemned. But if you trust in Jesus, you will stand before God, and Christ's righteousness will be weighed on the scale. And God will declare that the righteousness of Christ, and that the sacrificial death of Christ is sufficient and you will be saved. So what then will become of your kingdom, right? Uh, Days numbered, weighed and found wanting. So, Trust in Jesus. Stand before God. My days are no longer numbered because I'll be, be saved to be with God. My, my, I won't be weighed and found wanting because Jesus will be weighed in my place and I'll be accepted on his behalf. What then will come of my kingdom? It will still be taken from you. But here's the, here's the thing, right? What, what's better? Is it better to be the king of your own kingdom 
when that kingdom is going to be destroyed. Right? That we saw Daniel 2, right? We saw the kingdoms of man, the gold and the silver and the bronze, right? The kingdoms of man are going to be obliterated by the stone that is Jesus Christ and his eternal kingdom is going to obliterate the human kingdoms, reduce them to rubble, and then it itself is going to expand and fill the entire world as God's eternal kingdom. So is it better to be the king of a kingdom that's going to be destroyed and the king of that kingdom is going to be killed? Or is it better to be a citizen in God's eternal kingdom? that will last forever, right? That Revelation tells us there's no crying and no sadness and no suffering and, and the citizens of God's kingdom will reign with him forever and ever. Would you rather be a king of your own kingdom that's going to be destroyed or a citizen of God's kingdom that will endure forever? Psalm 84 says, it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. One day in the house of the Lord is better than thousands of days. Right? Like to be a servant, to be a lowly servant in God's kingdom is far better than being the king of your own kingdom because your own kingdom is going to be destroyed forever. And so what it means to be a Christian is that you step down off the throne of your own kingdom, you surrender your kingdom over to God, my kingdom is now part of your right? Everything that was my kingdom, my little fiefdom, it's gone. It's now yours. I am, I am a citizen in your kingdom rather than a king of my own kingdom. And I'm, I'm, that's where I'm putting my stock. That's where, that's where I am, right? I'm counting on that. Not on the staying power of my own kingdom, but rather on the sufficiency and the trustworthiness of Jesus, the true king, in his kingdom. Your days are numbered. You are going to die and stand before God and face judgment and give an account to him. So prepare for that day now by trusting in Jesus Right? So that you can be a citizen in his kingdom rather than remaining a, a lame duck king of your own kingdom that is doomed for destruction. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that our days are numbered. Now they're coming to an end. And that we, in and of ourselves, have been weighed and found wanting, and we have fallen short of your glory. And that the kingdoms that we are building will most assuredly be taken from us and destroyed. And so we come to you, we turn away from our sin, and we turn to you, and we trust in you, in the hopes that you will save us. Lord, we look to you, and we love you, and we trust you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.